And so you really want to have your attorney look at those exceptions and negotiate away everything you can so you get maximum coverage. What you don't want to have happen is something like, oh, uh, the title policy doesn't insure against this easement that was shown on my survey, and I didn't have an attorney look at it because I'm cheap. And all of a sudden, now I'm losing two buildings because the utility company is allowed to come in there and bulldoze those buildings from oh, a pipeline place. Right? Wow. That is a real problem, you know. And they, and they don't crop up until it may be a non-issue, but they can be ticking time bombs. This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will help you escape the Wall Street casino and build wealth on Main Street by investing in real estate so you can live life on your terms. I'm your host, Taylor Lote, and today our guest is Chad Sutton from Quattro Capital. Today, we're talking about due diligence, specifically due diligence on large apartment complexes. That's what Chad specializes in, specifically upgrading B to B plus class properties to A class properties, really driving their values. And he gives us a deep dive on this topic today. It's really fantastic content. If you're interested in learning about how due diligence on these properties works, this is the interview for you. Chad really brings it today. And I appreciate that so, so much. And you're going to appreciate it as well. I promise. Such a deep dive, great content. And you might want to listen to it a couple of times. He also teaches us about his escape from the corporate world first. So very interesting journey there. And I think that informs and gives us uh, just sheds light on how he's so good at what he does today because of his background. So fantastic content, great information. If you want to learn about due diligence on apartment complexes, just stay tuned. I'm your host, Taylor Lode. I'm a real estate investor and I help busy people passively invest in commercial real estate. If you'd like to learn more and have a conversation with me about what we do, go to investwithtaylor.com. Fill out the form, schedule a call with me, and I'll look forward to speaking with you then. If you're an Apple Podcast user and you enjoy the show, please take a moment and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind, you guys. I appreciate that so, so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. People see your reviews. They think, hey, this person learned something from the Passive Wealth Strategy Show. Maybe I can learn something too. And they tune in. And you know what? That helps us grow. And that helps you grow too because you spread the love, right? If you know anyone who could use a little bit more passive wealth in their lives, please share the show with them and bring them into the tribe. I appreciate it so much when you guys do that, really genuinely. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Right now, we're going to get right to it with our guest, Chad Sutton from Quattro Capital. Without any further ado, here we go. Chad, thank you for joining us today. Taylor, happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Great to have you on the show. For our listeners out there who don't know about you and your background, can you tell us about your business and what you do in real estate? Absolutely. So I am one of the founding members of Team Quattro. That is Quattro Capital. We are a pretty well-known investment and syndication firm in Texas and the Southeast, even bleeding into Indiana a little bit these days. I am our director of acquisitions, so I really focus on the front end of choosing the vehicle and the market and submarket that we're going to be investing in. Uh, you know, we are hyper focused today in B class to A class transitions of multifamily product. Why is that? We'll get into it, but it's really about buying quality assets today for whatever it is we're going into. We have a breadth of experience, you know, ranging from, you know, gut to the stud rehabs 
you know, I've done a lot of single family work. We've done some mobile home parks. We've done some class D to C transitions, C to B transitions. So really got to run the gambit on multifamily. We, we haven't really moved into anything that is non-unit based. So we don't really do square footage based investment as of today. And that's by design. But overall, so that's just, you know, Quattro Capital is a company where we don't really have a corporate office location. We are spread around the country. We like to play in markets where we have boots on the ground and markets. We have a team of about 23 people, I think is where we are today, uh, involved in, in, you know, delivering returns and everything of that sort. That's not including construction and property management that, of course, we employ indirectly. So that's Quattro Capital. In general, you know, who am I? I am a recovering engineer, Taylor. I spent a lot of my time in the space flight and aircraft industries before, you know, back when we were still flying the space shuttle, I worked on that project. I worked on what is now the Falcon 9 rocket before it was sold to SpaceX from NASA. Uh, so I did that for a long time back in the Obama administration and spent a good chunk of my career designing commercial aircraft engine components and, and the hot section. So if you ever wanted to know how an aircraft engine works, I'm going to give it to you really simply. Suck, squeeze, bang, blow. That is the technical, <laughs> that is the technical definition of how engineers describe it. Contact me if you want to learn what that means. Anyway, leave that to the side. So I have a pretty extensive corporate background in engineering that led me to, if you guys remember when, when General Electric had its little stock price explosion mm-hmm. uh, and they went from about 50 bucks down to three, you know, and killed a lot of people's pensions. I was in the company at that time and actually was plucked. We kind of created an internal KPMG or McKinsey and Deloitte, like an internal consulting group. And I had the privilege as a mid 20s professional to fly around the world and work exclusively on you know, improving the profit and loss statement at these various factories. I had engineering design and manufacturing experience and I had business experience. So that's really how I gained my, you know, large project management and portfolio management and P&L management expertise that I employ in the real estate market today. So that was a very interesting time to get to travel on the company dollar everywhere in the world and really get to, you know, kind of leapfrog into a business growth and development perspective that led to a global supply chain executive role where I was focused on coordinating the global spend for the renewable business that we had uh, in GE. And I was responsible for, you know, buying large electronic components and negotiating that. But the, the problem was, and, and this is really where my corporate story ended, it was very immoral to me. You know, I, it, the whole premise of my job was to take everything away from small manufacturing companies as big, bad GE. And I was good at it, Taylor. That was the hard part, you know? So for me to make money, someone else had to lose. What I've learned in this industry and why I love it so much, not only do I love old made new and I love putting real estate back together, but everyone wins when we win, right? Our residents win because they have a safe quality and affordable place to live that is cheaper than new build pricing. Our investors win because, I mean, Clearly, they make a lot of money when we make these projects do what we say we will do, you know, beating inflation, getting out of the stock market, rat race, things of that sort. And in some cases, we've actually helped people leave their corporate jobs because of the cash flow and, and appreciation they've been able to sustain with us. And, you know, we win. We get to win as well. I think the only person who doesn't win are the the very few amount of residents out there who try to game the system. And, and we, don't, we don't really tolerate that. So... Other than that, that's really who I am. That's what our company uh, is doing and love to go to the next level here. Awesome. Awesome. Love it. So escaping corporate investing in multifamily. And today I want to dig into 
your due diligence processes as you're yes. investing in these multifamily deals. Because as we discussed before we started recording, I think there's a lot of kind of fluffy content out there regarding due diligence on apartment complexes in particular. So I want to talk about your processes and get as much as we can into the nuts and bolts or maybe the the screws and studs, if you'll permit the, the expression. So let's break into that and uh, tell us about it, how you get started when you're doing due diligence on an apartment complex. Yeah. And I, I love this question, Taylor, because it, it, it's astounding how many groups out there aren't really doing this adequately. There are really three pillars of due diligence. And when we say that when I encompass diligence, I'm, from the first time you underwrite that property until the day you submit a package to the lender and close it, you're really performing diligence. And then you're helping the lender with their diligence, right? The three components of it are financial, contractual or legal, if you want to call it that, and physical. Okay. I think everyone pretty well understands the physical. So we'll start there and we'll touch on the other two if we have time. But the the, the problem that I see in the physical world is it's not really done to an adequate standard. So when we go in onto a property, and this part, contrary to popular belief, this this is the shortest duration of due diligence. It's usually done in two to three days, and then we might spend a week, you know, down down reducing numbers and getting everything into a spreadsheet where we can account for it and build a, a actionable project plan out of it. But you know, the, the obvious thing you're going to have a licensed contractor or someone on your construction team. By the way. Unless you are in this world and this is what you do, you walking the exteriors as the operator is probably not sufficient, right? You don't have the trained eye. You're not going to be able to pick out what roofs need to be replaced, what hail damage looks like and how old it is, what a peeling piece of OSB looks like compared to Team 111. You know, you have to know all these details to really be able to scope the problems from the outside. So we actually work with a vertically integrated property management company. Uh, We believe that it is not worth our time to vertically integrate and get into construction and property management until we have a big enough presence in one place. We have chosen to be nimble and go different places in the country where the markets are correct. So we prefer to work with a large national group that is Vicinia Property Management as of today. And, you know, they have a, what's very beautiful is they have an internal construction management team, not construction team, but construction management team, as well as property management. So we will hire them to come in with us and run due diligence. And, and so we're sending people to the site. The externals will be walked from the, you know, we'll be looking at roofs, age and repairs needed. We'll be looking at gutters. Are they there? Are they flowing? Do the downspouts work? We'll be looking at windows. Are they fogged? Are they leaking? What needs to be done there? All the siding and then facade of the building. Uh, you know, we'll be looking at what landscape do we need to do? We'll be looking at what what is the status of the amenities? Are they adequate for the clientele we're going to be catering to? And that is very important, by the way. You know, we, we focus on swimming pools if they're there. There's a lot of internals there you have to understand. You look and you, you, you'll spend some time in the office in the common areas. You'll look at the plumbing. You'll look at the electrical. It really, every single component that goes into the building, we need to understand, is it sound or will it cost us money to fix? This is one of the reasons we prefer to focus on newer build properties, because typically we find that plumbing, electrical, structural, you know, things that are just going to cost you a lot of money that are really going to generate you more income are usually okay, right? You get into some of your 60s and 70s builds. Taylor, I've had a property where I had to dig up the entire property and replace the water lines in the ground, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's because the city replaced the water meter and they started popping like toothpicks. So this is all part of diligence, right? Understanding that that's the, that's the exterior physical. So we will catalog all of that. And then, you know, 
solicit quotes or uh, experience-based pricing on what it's going to cost to repair, mitigate, or replace whatever the, is wrong with those uh, those items. Then you get to unit, you know, unit inspections. So the first thing that's very important when you do this, you have to make your CapEx plan line up with your income plan. Let me say that again. CapEx plan must line up with income plan. Okay, I can't stress that importance enough. When you when you go to walk the units, we've already done a rent comp survey. We've already looked at what demographic group and what what clientele. Are we going for a high-end clientele? Are we going for a working-class clientele? You have to really know who your audience is and what finishes you need to have to get that client. Then, only then do we go into all the units. And we will, we, we use a service called Happy Co. There's others out there, but this is a, uh, a digital service. All of my team will be walking around with iPads at, or some sort of tablet. And we walk into the unit and we've already got a pre-programmed template of, you know, here's what we want it to be. And if it's not there, we mark it, right? And, and it's repair, replace, or mitigate. And so we'll go into every single unit. We're in and out in 60 seconds. You don't spend time talking to the resident. You get in, get out, get on with your life. You catalog everything that needs to be adjusted. And then at the end of the day, we have a wonderful report we run that shows based on our template that we want to do what all needs to be touched. And then we can assign prices to all of that. And that's how you build a unit by unit, not only inspection plan, you know, knowing with pictures, knowing what things started as, but what things need to, to happen to realize your business plan. So that's that's the physical diligence aspect. Of course, we will have some third-party vendors go out to check out big ticket items like a roof, like your plumbing. Uh, if you have, you know, an asbestos risk in, a new, in an older property, you might go get that tested. So there's all sorts of things you want to look into there. Now, as far as financial due diligence, this is where it gets a little hairy, right? This, this takes a little more time. We will do a couple of, of major top-level things. So there's, of course, the lease audit. What does a lease audit really mean? It, it me it does not mean go sit in the office and look through papers and pick 20 leases and make sure they match the rent roll. That, that is the easy part. Mm-hmm. What you actually want to do is you want to get digital copies. And this should this really should be no problem. If it is, send someone you pay $7 an hour to go to the office and scan them in. But go get digital copies of all the leases and you will have your property management company who is responsible for leasing on your project. Go through each one of those. They will and they will check everything from the rental rate. They will check the duration and lease expiration. They will check any pet fees, any addendums, things of that sort, any special deals that have been cut. You know, some mom and pop operators, but they make special deals that aren't all the rent roll <laughs> that can be problematic. And, and so that really helps you verify, is the property rent roll doing what I think it should be doing? And further, you can look for any risks in, in the lease. Like, are they required to have renter's insurance? You know, how many are delinquent to that? And you, a lot of times you'll come back with a list and you, and ideally a clean report and say, okay, Mr. Property Manager of the current owner, you need to fix all of these things before closing. And a lot of times they'll do it. So you at least get that in place when you have the power to do so. Otherwise you inherit that lease and it's yours. The next item is income. I mentioned you have to have your income match your CapEx plan. Well, that's the income increases, right? The in-place income, you really have to validate where you're starting from, you know? Some people look at T12 income, T6, T3, T1, rent roll. It just, it depends on the, the story of the property and what you can take to the bank as this is my starting point. And from there, you'll be adding Delta income to it as you grow. So what we'll do in the back end is we want to get a hold of bank statements. This Now, this is not the deposit report from Appfolio or whatever property management software is. You want to actually see their bank account and you want to see what deposits are coming in 
and be able to reconcile them back to the associated rent payments and other income payments. I ha- I can tell you, I've done enough deals. You will see owners who say, yeah, collections are all there. And then you go look and they've made personal transfers from their bank account <laughs> oh, to, to true up numbers. And that, I mean, that could be a 30% difference on state and income. So it's a big, big, big deal to understand what you have there. We will then take the the resident applications, which will have their occupation, their stated uh, salary at the time, and we do what's called an occupational audit. Now, this this kind of came back around in 2020 when all of a sudden, you know, the world shut down and you, you didn't know, okay, on this property, is everyone just working from home and it's fine? Or is everyone laid off and can't pay a rent, you know? Mm-hmm. So it, 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 it's something you want to understand, like what clientele do I have in place? What are their jobs? What are their incomes? What's their rent to income ratio? Is that, is it risky? You know, they, if they're at 50%, that's probably a risk of high payment or non-payment. Um, and so we look at all of that. And then really what happens from there is, is you, these are all the components and you take all the components and you, you, you really want to work with, you, you, can, you can underwrite a budget, you know, with operating expenses and things of that sort. So l- let me touch on that first. That, that was the income side. You really, you really want to focus on the non-controllable expenses first. You know, what can you not really have a say over? One of those is taxes. One of those is insurance. You know, I mean, you, yes, you can negotiate them, but to a point you're held to the law, right? Mm-hmm. And they can just tell you to kick rocks and pound sand. But, you know, you, you negotiate what you can, but taxes and insurance, you really have to get that right. You can't fix it. Everything else, repairs and maintenance, general administrative, payroll, you know, all those things, you can, you can kind of affect that with internal decisions, right? So you still want to get that right. But how do you, how you actually budget out the operations of the property, it really needs to go with what the seller, the seller, what the property management company you're going to use, not any property, not all management companies are created equal and everyone runs properties differently. So you need to work with whoever it is that's going to be managing that property with or for you and make sure that your expense load is in line and itemized based on how they're going to run the property. Are they going to be using apartments.com or just Zumbler? That's a big difference in in marketing budget. You know, you have to know all this stuff to get that number right and be tight. And so that getting expenses in line is pretty easy once you sit down to do that. And then let, let's talk about going from point A to point B, and then I'll pause for questions before we go to legal, Taylor. So going from point A to point B, we verified our in-place income. You know, we verified that our CapEx plan matches where we want to take the income. But now how do we get from point A to point B? Is it a straight line? Is it flat and then rises up or is it like, does it rise real quickly and then level off? You have to make that determination. You know, if you have a project where you can, you think you can get $300 rent increase, well, guess what? It's probably not going to happen all in year one and then be there in year two. You know, you have to actually look at how do your leases expire? Like how many expire in what month? So that, that's your entitlement. That's the max you can do in, in, a, in a turnover and, and rent increase in one month. And then you have to think about how long does it take to renovate? You know, if you take one offline, clean it off, get it re-rented, is that a four-week delay? Is it a six-week delay? Is it a two-week delay? You have to work with your team and know that. So that, that's the absorption characteristic. So there's actually a lot of detail and care and finesse you want to put into the monthly underwrite of your project and make sure you understand month over month, how quickly can you achieve that project realistically, you know, to get from point A to point B, because that's going to, that'll really affect the expectation that you set for your investors. And that can be the difference in, I can give you an eight pref in year one, or I can't distribute cash flow until year two. Mm-hmm. Big mm-hmm. difference. And, so, and, you know, that's it. So let's, let's take some questions real quick and then we'll go to 
legal if we have time. Yeah, I don't want to eat up too many times with, you know, calling too much time with calling things out here because I want to hear about the, the legal thing. I think there were so many interesting things that you pointed out there. One in particular that I kind of grab onto that I think is not discussed often enough was the repairs that will hit your income, will generate more income for you, or will not generate more income for you, or cut your expenses, hit your NOI, and increase the value of the building, the ones that will and the ones that won't. I'm glad you pointed that out and uh, wanted to to recognize that and and how you think about that. What is What is too much to spend on an expense that will not increase your income and what yeah. is not too much? Because yeah. there's, it's not going to be zero. You're going to have some things that aren't going to increase your income. Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, I, I think it really comes down to this is an investment, right? And so you, you said another thing there that I really should have poked on is, is do I expense it or do I capitalize, it, right? Mm, yes. I mean, you think about there are some things that are obvious, like when you resurface a bathtub, that's an expense. It's not something you can capitalize. If I go replace appliances, I could either expense them or I could capitalize them. What do I mean? Expensing it means it hits my NOI. It is part of my repair and maintenance budget or turnover budget, and it hits my NOI. Well, we like to keep NOI as high as possible because that that is your value. You want to be ready to sell at any given time. Keep your NOI up. That's how your lender measures you too, by the way. So we capitalize as much as we possibly can below the line when we're doing the renovations until we're stabilized, right, where we want to be, and then we'll start hitting hitting the the OPEX. But how much is too much to to take on of something that isn't going to increase my income, I think is what you're asking me. There's always going to be, not always, there's regularly going to be some things that you just have to do. There's some deferred maintenance. You, maybe you're on year three of, of or you're on year seven of 10 and you have three years left of roof life. Got to bake that in. You know, I wouldn't say there's a rule of thumb of how much is too much, but what I'll say is you're going to see it in your returns. If I'm spending, let's say I have a $6 million CapEx budget, capital expenditures budget on a $20 million property, right? That is, that, that's substantial. And mm-hmm. if 5 million of that is going to, you know, ROI increasing items, you know, like direct, okay. If five of that is going to fixing the foundation and fixing the windows and fixing the roof, it's a little harder to draw that, but it's still important. So like, for example, I can make a beautiful interior suite but if the outside looks like it's falling apart, nobody's going to live there. So that still to a point affects your, your income ability, but it's not a direct line. So you kind of have to make that judgment of, you know, is this building too far gone to, you know, to uh, justify that expense or should you go ahead and suck it up? And, and because of how much income you're going to be able to raise and what clientele you can cater to, it's worth the spend. What I'll typically tell you is we avoid we tend to avoid foundation problems as much as we can. We tend to avoid plumbing problems. In pre-1980 is really the mark there. Before 1980, you had cast iron, you had galvanized piping that falls apart from the inside out. That The stuff that I can't get to and walk up to and touch, I try to avoid it. Because if I got to rip out walls and go and dig into the ground, that's an unknown you're not going to be able to quantify. It's, it's a blank check. So we try to avoid that kind of stuff but I'm okay to replace some roofs, replace some gutters, replace some windows. I mean, that's all. If I can reach out and touch it, I'm usually okay to replace it. Nice. Okay. This, so the hidden things are a big one. So great. Yes. Glad we got to that. Now let's move on to, to legal. I want to make sure we get to that as well. Yeah, sure. So the third pillar is your legal and contractual due diligence, if you will. So again, I do not do this personally. I have a team that does it for me. You want to have legal professionals and management companies do this for you because they are, they're in that market. So 
your legal due diligence is going to be things like, okay, have a real estate attorney look at your survey, determine if you need to get a new one. That's going to be like the, the map of your land that shows all the boundaries, all the setbacks, and it's going to show any non-compliances that might be there, maybe any easements. Easements are things that someone else has a right to do something with that property and they can be problematic. You want to identify all those all those risks up front. And usually those risks are big enough of, of a deal that you know, even if you have hard money up, it's usually subject to title, environmental, and survey, right? So, and I, I kind of lump environmental and, and and property condition assessment in legal because it, it's done by a third party and it's it, anyway, so we'll, we'll talk about that. But you, know, you want to look at your title work that comes out of the, the title companies. This is your title policy that says, okay, here's what the title policy will insure against. And they'll always have these, it's Schedule B2 is the, is the exceptions that are in there, right? It's always Schedule B2. I don't know why. <laughs> but they'll they'll go in there and they'll say, oh, we're going to insure you except for these four things. And they'll go pick out anything on the survey. If you haven't gotten a new survey, they'll say with the exception, we don't, we exclude the survey from it. And so you really want to have your attorney look at those exceptions and negotiate away everything you can so you get maximum coverage. What you don't want to have happen is something like, oh, uh, the title policy doesn't insure against this easement that was shown on my survey. And I didn't have an attorney look at it because I'm cheap. And all of a sudden now I'm losing two buildings because the utility company is allowed to come in there and bulldoze those buildings on oh, a pipeline place, right? Wow. That is a real problem, you know, and, and they don't crop up until it may be a non-issue, but they can be ticking time bombs, right? You have to know that stuff. You want to do a legal search with the city on, okay, it, do we have certificate of occupancy? Is this a legal dwelling? You know, are there any code violations with the city? that may or may not, uh, I'm seeing a cat go across the street. <laughs> yeah, one of our <laughs> rescues. <laughs> Very good, that's your mascot. Code violations, anything like, you know, maybe they they are violating building code or the grass is too high or the city's on them about something, right? You want to get those fixed as quick as possible. You know, you, you're going to want to go through all the contracts that are associated with the property. The big ones are going to be your cable contract, your, uh, you know, cable internet, that kind of stuff. Those can be, the, those travel with the property, a laundry contract. Maybe you have electric charging stations. Those are becoming popular. Those go with the building. So there, there's any any contract that kind of go that you'll be inheriting when you buy the building. Some go with the building, some don't. Then you'll be looking at the contracted services, things like cleaning services, lawn services, landscaping services, pool cleaning services. You know, you, the list goes on and on and on. Pest control. You want to look at all those. And I really have my management company do that because they're going to have their preferred vendors, especially a big management company. Let them compare what we've got. Let them compare what we're going to do. And and then we'll, you know, they'll give me a recommendation on which ones to terminate, which ones to take over. An example, we are actually about to terminate a laundry contract because part of our business plan is to put laundry connections in units, you know, and we've already started doing that, but we're coming up on the termination deadline and heads up. Mark your calendars for when those are, because the, a lot of those contracts auto renew if you don't tell them in, in the right time frame, and that can really be a problem for you. So, you know, we spend a lot of time focusing on all that, and then from a third party report perspective, I kind of lump that into legal. That that's going to be your environmental report. You might get a phase one typically, which says, "Hey, is there any risk of like petrochemicals or you know anything hazardous to health that would make the city not allow this to be a dwelling on the property?" Usually that answer is no, but get that from the seller. They probably had one done. Get yours done if your lender requires it. They'll make you do a property condition condition assessment or an engineering report is what it's called. And that's really just someone comes in and does a detailed accounting of how it's built, what the status of everything is. 
your lender might give you some repairs to make, you know, but understand that before you get out of due diligence, because you can use that as a negotiating tool. So, and then in general, the last little bit of legal, you're going to have done some of this upfront with the, the purchase and sale negotiation. So the, the purchase and sale agreement is always a customized document on transactions of this size. And it's very important that we, um, it's very important that you, you think about the, the specifics of the property. For example, it is not unreasonable for you to say, hey guys, I know you just signed these three laundry contracts for four or for 10 years. And I know that you just got $500,000 for that. I want you to prorate that for my ownership of the property. So you, like, you may actually have access to some things that, that they may be, you know, they may be like, fine, yeah, we'll do that because we just got that and we have it, you know? So there's a lot of things you can do there, but again, have a licensed attorney there with you every step of the way guiding you on what you can negotiate, what, you know, what's customary in the area, who's paying for closing costs, all that kind of stuff as well. So that, that's, that's a little bit of front end legal, but I think we can leave it there. That, that's a, that's a pretty good look at everything you're doing to, to ratify a, a purchase that, you know, an acquisition. And it's really just all about, do you really have what they say you have? You know, are you, are you really buying the property that has the potential that they say you are, or are there hidden hidden uh, ticking time bombs that may derail you along the way. Those are what you're, what due diligence is identified to on surface. Wow. Well, that was a master class. We'll leave that there for now and move on to the second part of the show. Right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. The first step to growing your wealth is tracking your wealth, income, spending, and everything else about your finances. You can start tracking your wealth for free and Get six free months of wealth advisory with personal capital by going to escapingwallstreet.com and using our link. Create your free account today and automate the way you track your money. Personal capital is my preferred way to track my finances, and now we're making that available for listeners. Terms and conditions apply. See the personal capital website for details. Once again, to get the offer, go to escapingwallstreet.com and use our link. Back to the show. All right, Chad, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? I am ready. Let's go. One, Great. two, three, punch. First one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? Uh, you took that one out of my mouth. The best investment I have ever made. Honestly, uh, it is a property. We bought a property in Chattanooga, Tennessee that was victim to a family feud. It cost me more in litigation fees than you can imagine. <laughs> because we were attacked as soon as we went under contract. We were a chosen buyer by one side, not the other. The judge awarded us the deal, if that tells you anything. Wow. And it was a litigation battle from the beginning. But we bought that property for 60 cents on the dollar. It is a great concrete built steel reinforced property. Insurance is like $100 a door. You know, because it's like if that property goes, Tennessee's gone. Right? It's, already like, it's like a fortress. And, you know, it had rents in place in the $500 range when rents were literally $12 to $100 in the area. So wow. we are just making a fortune on that property. Everybody's trying to buy it from me and we're saying, no, uh, this is a cash out refi. But that is definitely the best investment I think I've ever made. Nice, nice. So now we go to the other side of that coin, the worst investment. What is the worst investment you ever made? The worst investment I have ever made has been one of two things. Uh, the first one I'll say quickly is, you know, investing in my retirement accounts. <laughs> because mm -hmm. in the beginning, when I was a W-2 employee, I didn't know any better. I put a lot of money with Fidelity, expecting, you know, the money managers out there to to make me a lot of money. 
And what I found is they all took their fees and overall, I really didn't really grow that much. I mean, I, you know, I, I probably hit, had about five to 6%, you know, overall with all the, the strategy that was put in there. So, and that, that was really the lesson there is I, inv- I, I didn't follow Warren Buffett's rule. I invested in something I didn't understand, you know, and I couldn't control. Now I have made bad investments in real estate and I'll tell you about one of those, but it could be a bonus. We do not do class D war zone properties anymore, but there was a time when we did and it used to be fine. You know, I mean, the, before 2020 hit, we bought a property that we knew day one, we were going to be evicting about 40% of bad wow. residents wow. who needed to, they were drug, you know, drug, uh, trafficking people. There was, you know, some prostitution going on with it. It was just, it was the best, but it was in a path of progress. I, I, I can stand at the property and look down the street at the new builds coming. Right. So it was, it was definitely there. Well, we bought that property in February of 2020. Oh man. Oh. You know exactly what happened in March Ouch. 18th of 2020 Yeah, is we, this thing called an eviction moratorium that we'd never heard of in the industry showed no, up ever. and all of a sudden I could not evict anyone. And and further, this is the demographic. When you say, when someone gets on TV and says, you don't have to pay rent, guess what they do? They all stop paying rent. So overall, and this is a story of resilience more than anything, to keep the story short, we eventually, eight months later, got uh, through various methods of cash for keys and things like that, got the bad apples out. Arrests were made. We were able to, we had to fund the property more with our own capital. This was a personal acquisition, not investors, thank God. So it was just us dealing with this. We had to pay cash flow out of our own pockets for about a year. We had to fund an extra couple hundred thousand dollars into it out of our own pocket. We turned over the property. And at the end of the day, we did sell it by, inc- and we had increased rents from 700 to 900 on average, made a good exit. But that was one of the worst investments we'd ever made just because valuation, we did very well. On paper, we did horribly because of headwinds we could not predict. And I think the lesson is, and really this is why we focus on the asset class we do now. The lesson is, think about the resident base that you are holding. And then I'm all about helping people and doing, a, you know, facilitating affordable housing. But there are, there are residents and there are tenants. Tenants do not have respect, Right. And there are some people that if you hold during rough times, they're going to be the ones hardest hit, you know? So you have to really make sure you know what you're doing in a given market cycle. That was our worst investment. Wow. Ouch. My favorite question here at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing? Oh my gosh. There have been so many. The most important lesson that I've learned in business and investing. I have to think about that one a little bit. You know, I know it's hard to imagine by talking to me, but I, you know, I'm actually a, a cocky individual a little bit, you know, so <laughs> kind of when I came into all this, I thought I knew everything. Right. Mm-hmm. And I was not humble at all. And I, this industry will humble you very quickly. Right. What I've learned is, and th- I, I don't say this metaphorically, you literally have to be the dumbest person in the room that you're surrounding yourself with. You need to be like, e- even today, I'm, I'm a very experienced individual. I've done a lot in this industry. I've weathered a lot of storms, but I have people in all aspects of my life that are coaching. Now they may be true paid mentors. They may be acquaintances. I know they may be co, you know, coworkers at my company, but you know, I, I, I kind of look and identify, is this person an acquaintance or a mentor, you know? And whether you, whether they call themselves your mentor, they may be pouring into you in some way or another. I find I need a coach in every aspect of my life. I changed my golf swing last year and I hired a coach, you know? So I know it, you can't always hire one, but you need to seek 
growth and guidance from others because success in whatever you want to do, being a better Christian, being a better golfer, being a better real estate investor, being better at finances, someone has done it better than you. And just talking to that person, you know, can, you can learn by, uh, you know, through osmosis almost. So my biggest success secret, I think, is be humble and be coached, be coachable and be coached. Nice. Well, progress is definitely found through discomfort first and yes. foremost. I want to thank you for joining us today and sharing all of these great lessons. If folks want to reach out, if they want to get in touch with you, if they want to find you on the internet, if they want to find your podcast or anything like that, where can they track you down? You know, the easiest thing to do is go to chadsutton.info. And I'm sure Taylor will put that in the show notes for you. So you can click it, chadsutton.info. That will take you to my link page. It will have a link to my podcast. It will have a link to, the, to Quattro Capital's website at thequattroway.com. You will be able to see any open projects we have available if you're interested in investing with us. And if you just want to get on a call and, and see how we can help each other, there's a, cal- a Calendly link in there as well. So all about me is at that link, info. Awesome. I love it. Thank you once again for joining us today. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind, you guys. I appreciate that so, so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys. That gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street Casino along with us. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Right now, I hope you have a great rest of your day and we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.